Hello, everyone. Good to have you again today. Glad we can come together, at least in this way, and study God's Word together. I hope you will take your Bibles, if you don't already have them, and open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, that's where we will be today, in thinking about proclaiming the precious name of Jesus, from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. While you're turning there and while some are logging on, uh, let's remind ourselves of some of the things we've talked about recently. We've talked about, uh, most recently, last Sunday, how that as Christians, we are reminded by God that we are to love one another fervently with, with every effort, putting all our effort into that. And in order to do that, that means that we must remove those things from our life that would prevent us from loving one another fervently. Things like verse 1 in chapter 2, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. We must remove those things from our life. And in order to love one another fervently, what we must add in its place, what we must desire in its place, is we must desire the sincere or the pure word of God so that we can grow, so that we can draw closer to God, so that we can love one another fervently, so that we can taste the graciousness of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. So as we think about today and proclaiming the precious name of Jesus, first of all, I guess our first point this morning, if you're taking notes, will be Jesus and his people from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5. Jesus and his people. The text says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. So in, as we talked about last week, in desiring and partaking of the pure milk of the Word of God, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, in doing that, we draw near to the Lord. We draw near to God. The text here talks a little bit about Jesus and who He is. It says He is a living stone, not a dead one. He is living. He has died, yes, but he has been resurrected, nevermore to die again. The text says that he has been rejected by men. And in that, we're reminded of the how that he was rejected by the people of the day, how that he was beaten, he was tortured, he was mocked, and ultimately crucified, hung on a cross, rejected by men. But it doesn't stop there. I suppose if the text stopped there, just said he was rejected by men and it ended there, I guess there really, really wouldn't be that much to this story. But it doesn't end. It says he has been chosen by God. In that, we're reminded of, yes, he, has, he had been tortured and he was crucified, hung on a cross for us. But God resurrected him. He has been resurrected from the dead. And he has been crowned. He has sat down at the right hand of God. 
Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. And it says he is precious. And the idea behind this word precious is he is prized. So who is Jesus? He is a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, prized. Far from being rejected by God, he is prized by God. So that's Jesus. He is a living stone, a precious, prized living stone chosen by God. Our text goes on, though, and it talks about, it talks about Christians. Remember, Peter is writing this letter, inspired. He's writing this inspired letter to Christians, Christians who are scattered, Christians who are facing difficulties, Christians who are facing persecutions, who are facing hardships, in some similar ways how that Christians today, we are also facing hardships and difficulties as we deal with the, the uncertainty of this virus, uh, as we deal with, if you're watching this on Sunday, I'll have you know, I meant to say this at the beginning, uh, the weather is supposed to be bad in Smithville on Sunday. Uh, I am not actually sitting recording this during all the bad weather that's going on. So if you're watching this and you're concerned that I'm not paying attention to the weather, uh, I am. I've recorded this ahead of time, uh, partially because I knew what the weather uh, today, Sunday, what it could be like. So this is being written to Christians during uncertain times, during hard times. Who are Christians? Well, our text tells us that you also, you Christians also, as living stones. Also, we are not dead stones. We are living stones. For what purpose? Well, the text tells us we are being built up a spiritual house. Building up a spiritual house. Christians are God's temple. If you place a marker there in 1 Peter chapter 2, and turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Place a marker there in 1 Peter chapter 2. And turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to read verse 16 and 17 as we think about Christians being God's temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 and 17. The text says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you Christians are? Christians are God's temple. God's dwelling place, if you will. Us Christians, we are that spiritual house. So who are Christians? We are living stones for what purpose? To build up a spiritual house. We also, now going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, the text also says a holy priesthood. Well, we've seen the purpose behind the living stones to build up a spiritual house. Well, what's the purpose of us being called a holy priesthood? Once again, place your marker there. Leave it there in 1 Peter 2. And let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, verse 1, Paul, writing to Christians, says this, I beseech you, or I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. So we are a holy priesthood for what purpose? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Notice the text says back in 1 Peter, through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8 verse 1 and 2 tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest. What that means is that we approach God through him. We approach God through our high priest, through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 1 and 2. So turning back now to 1 Peter chapter 2, in thinking about those first two verses, verse 4 and verse 5, we notice the relationship between Jesus and his people. We notice who Jesus is. The writer reminds us of who Jesus is. And the writer also reminds us that we as Christians are living stones for the purpose of building up a spiritual house. And we as Christians are a holy priesthood for the purpose of offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus and his people. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 2 now, noticing verse 6, this I guess would be our second point if you're making notes, taking notes here. Verse 6, here is how we should respond to him. How we should respond to him. Notice verse 6 with me. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. So he's quoting the Old Testament here. I have a footnote that says in verse 6 that he is quoting from Isaiah. All right? So he's quoting this and he's applying it. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. So based upon what we have just read, he says, therefore, so he says that in light of, based on what I've just said in verse 4 and verse 5, about who Jesus is, a living stone, and about who Christians are, we are also living stones, and we are a holy priesthood. Therefore, based on that, here's something that we learn. Believing on him, as the text says, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. We learn a couple things. Believing on him, believing on Jesus, must include being built upon him, the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone here in this verse is talking about Jesus. So, if we believe on him, then we must be built upon him because he is the chief cornerstone in this spiritual house. Everything is founded upon him. Place your marker there. Leave it there in 1 Peter chapter 2. I know I keep saying to place it there, but if you've put it there, then it's probably still there. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. And thinking about Jesus being this chief cornerstone, being the foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How then? So we understand, okay, believing on him means I must be built upon Jesus. Well, how are we built upon? On Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through verse 24. Notice this with me. 
Paul's writing this to Christians, and he says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, or by wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks, or Gentiles, seek after wisdom. Okay, Paul, what were you preaching? But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling to the Jews who are requesting a sign, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks who are seeking after wisdom, foolishness. But to those who are called to Christians, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. We are built upon Christ. Notice what was Paul preaching? Christ crucified. We are built upon Christ by hearing and obeying the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the preaching of the cross. Flip over maybe a page in your Bible and look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 11, as Paul talks about being built on Christ, the foundation, a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 through verse 11. Now, the problem with some of the brethren there at Corinth was this, is they were divided. They were falling in line, falling behind these, these preachers or these big names. And Paul is telling them, don't do that. Follow Christ. He says, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers, through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. He says, we're just servants. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants, talking about Paul, is anything, nor he who waters, talking about Apollos, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Well, what have they been preaching? They have been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Paul has mentioned just a chapter or two earlier. For we are God's fellow workers. You, Christians, are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation, remember we're thinking about a building, and we're thinking about Jesus being the foundation, no other foundation can anyone lay than which is laid, which is, the foundation is, Jesus Christ. Going back to our text there in 1 Peter chapter 2, he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Believing on Jesus must include being built upon him, the chief cornerstone. And the way that we are built on him is we hear and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the cross. So believing on him includes we must be built on him. Believing on him, also then, thinking about it back in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are a holy priesthood, believing on him must also include offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Romans 12, verse 2, urges us where Paul says to 
offer our bodies as living sacrifices. He then goes on to say in Romans 12 verse 2, don't be conformed or don't be molded to this world. And in thinking about those two verses, his point is this. If we mold ourselves to this world, instead of being a living sacrifice for God, if we mold ourselves to be like this world, then we cannot offer spiritual sacrifices to him. So how should we respond to him? 1 Peter 2 verse 6, by believing in him. And the way we do that, according to the context of what's going on, we must be built upon him, which means we must hear and obey the gospel. And then we must offer spiritual sacrifices to God, which means that we must offer our, ourselves. We must be a living sacrifice every day for him and not mold ourselves to this world. In other words, how do you believe in him? Hear and believe the gospel and then live for him every day. That's how we should respond to him. Now, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, all right, that's how we should respond to him. Verse 7 and verse 8 now, here's what happens if we reject him. We should hear and obey the good news of Christ, and we should live for him every day as a living sacrifice. But what happens if we reject him? Notice what our text says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 and verse 8. Here's what happens if we reject Christ. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, to which they also were appointed. The text says, to those who believe and obey, Jesus is the precious, and this time the word doesn't mean prized, but it means honored. Jesus is the honored chief cornerstone to those who believe and obey. To those who do not believe and obey, the text says that Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I can't help but think in what we've read so far and him talking about being built up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood that many of these listeners probably would have been reminded of the temple, the Jewish way of worshiping God. And in context here, talking about at the end of verse 8, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also to which they also were appointed i think here he's probably in context referring to the jews who had rejected jesus they had romans 3 verse 1 and 2 tells us the jews had been given the old testament they'd been given the word of god they should have and they could have known and been obedient to what God said about the Christ, the Messiah. However, they rejected Christ and they rejected what God had said. To disobey the word of God, our text here says, what, what happens if we reject him? To disobey the word of God is the same thing. It's equal to not believing and obeying Jesus. 
Someone cannot say, I believe in Jesus and I want to obey him, but then reject what God's word says. Our text here makes it plain that to disobey and to reject God's word is the same thing as not believing Jesus to be the Christ and rejecting him. It's not that in our text here that it's not that Jesus is forcing people to sin. But rather what the text is communicating is that people sin, people stumble. And, and this is the idea of it's stumbling and striking your foot or striking your leg against something. People sin, stumble, when they reject the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. To disobey the word of God, the text makes very clear, is to reject Jesus. And that is the same thing that the Jewish people did in the first century by crucifying the Lord. Look at, look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10 with me as we think about knowing what God's word says and then rejecting it anyway. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 28. We're going to read Hebrews 10, verse 28 through verse 31. The writer of Hebrews makes a very strong point that to know what the Word of God says, as the Jews did, they had the Old Testament, they had all the prophecies about the Christ, to know what the Word of God says and to reject it is a fearful thing. Notice Hebrews 10, starting with verse 28. Anyone who has rejected... Now, he's writing to Christians who were who were also going through hard times, and they were being tempted to go back to the law of Moses. And the entire book of Hebrews is written to tell them, look, Christ is better and his way is better in every single way. So don't go back to the law of Moses. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What is the writer's point? How much those who rejected Moses' law were, were put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses? How much worse do you think it will be to knowing full well who Jesus is? How much worse do you think it would be to reject him and to trample his sacrifice under our feet. And then his point is, thinking about that, it is a fearful thing for that person to fall into the hands of the living God. So as we think about our text in 1 Peter 2, we have seen Jesus and his people. We've seen who Jesus is, that he's a living stone, not a dead stone, but a living one. He's been rejected, but he's been raised up, chosen by God and is prized. We as Christians, 
We are living stones for the purpose of building up a spiritual house and a holy priesthood for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We've seen how we should respond to him. We should believe on him, which includes that we must be built upon him by obeying the gospel. And we must offer spiritual sacrifices to him, which means we must live for him and not be molded to this world. That's how we should respond to him. What happens if we reject him is if we reject what God's word says, then we reject him. And that is a fearful thing to think about. That is something that, as the text says, what mercy, basically, do you think those people will receive? Now, the wonderful blessing is, as we're about to finish up our text, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 10, this is our final point. The wonderful blessing is this. His people, Christians, have obtained mercy. Notice 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. His people have obtained mercy. But you, writing to Christians, and but you, you have not rejected him. You have been obedient to him. You are living for him. You are serving him. You are living as a, a you are serving God. You are offering those spiritual sacrifices to him. But you, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now, he's talking about Christians, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Christians are, as the text says, Christians are God's own special people. The text describes Christians as being a chosen generation, a chosen race, a chosen family. We are children of God, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 tells us. So when Christians are God's own special people and described as a chosen generation, think family. We are God's family. The text also describes us as a royal priesthood. Peter just said in verse 5 that we are, as Christians, a holy priesthood. Think servants. We are God's family. We are God's servants. And then the text describes us as a holy nation. Colossians 1.13, Paul writing to Christians said, We are transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1.13. A holy, a separate, set-apart nation. Think citizens. Christians are God's own special people. We are his family. We are his servants. And we are citizens of his kingdom. Now the text tells us, here is a Christian's purpose to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are called out of darkness, which the idea of that is sin, and into the kingdom of God 
by the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 through verse 13. We are called out of darkness, out of sin, and we are called into the kingdom of God by God's word, by the Bible, by the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 2, 12 through 13. Upon believing what that word teaches, upon believing and confessing Jesus to be the risen Lord, to be the risen Christ, He is Lord, He is King, He is Savior. Upon believing and confessing that the Word of God teaches that, and believing it for ourselves, we must repent of our sins, turn away from them. Remember, we're not to be molded to this world anymore. Repent of that, and be baptized, be immersed by the authority of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Acts 2, verse 38. And upon doing all that, God has said, the Lord adds us to his church, to his kingdom. Acts 2, verse 47. At that point, we are then a Christian. We have been transferred out of darkness. We've been transferred out of fellowship with Satan. And we have been transferred into the light, out of darkness into the light, which is where fellowship with God is. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through verse 10. In walking in the light, we have fellowship with God. 1 John 1, verse 5 through 10. That's what we do. That, that's the mercy that God has extended to us that as Christians we can obtain. Now our, our text and our purpose then, to proclaim the praises, to proclaim is the idea of declaring abroad, to publish, to make something known. Praising God for what he has done is not something a Christian should only do in secret. It also is something that we must make known publicly. Every Christian is responsible for this. Every Christian is responsible for letting others know, this is what God has done for me. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to everyone. That command is not just for the preacher. That command is not just for the elders. That command is for every single Christian. Because every single Christian has obeyed the gospel. And you can tell someone else what God has done for you. And then the word proclaim the praise. Praise is the idea of goodness, a gracious act of God. Make known God's goodness. Remember what Peter said in verse 3 of 1 Peter 2? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have we tasted the Lord's graciousness? The answer is yes. Then proclaim it. Let others know, make it known, the, make known to others the goodness and graciousness of God and the mercy that you have obtained by obeying the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior. As we close this morning, and I thank you for, for paying attention and for following along with me this morning, 
Uh, if you do have any questions, if you would like to study things further, uh, maybe if you have a request, uh, maybe something in your life, and you'd like some, some prayer said on your behalf uh, for strength or for encouragement, you know, contact us through the Smithville Church of Christ Facebook page or, or reach out to me, Jameson Stewart, on Facebook, and I'll be glad to, to study with you, to talk with you, uh, and we can talk about these things. I want you to think about this as our text closes. In light of facing difficult times, which is what this book, that's the setting of 1 Peter, in light of facing difficult times, our text here closes, Christians, Christians, this is for you. If you have obeyed the gospel, if you have obeyed what we have talked about this morning, believing Jesus to be the Lord in Christ, confessing that, if you have repented of your sins, and if you have been immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, not that you thought you were saved before you were baptized, but you knew, I must be baptized into Christ to contact his blood. If you have done that, then Christians, never forget where you were. Our text says, who once were not a people, who once had not obtained mercy. Christians, we do not ever need to forget where we used to be. And also, along with that, don't ever forget where you used to be. Never forget where you are now. As the text says, now we are the people of God. Now we have obtained mercy. So in light of facing difficult times, Christians, don't forget where you used to be and who you used to be. And don't forget who you are now because of God. And also now, those who are not Christians, in light of also facing difficult times, because you're, you're facing these things, this virus, these difficult times, right along with us, I want you to realize where you are right now. Once, the text says, you were not a people. Once we had not obtained mercy... If you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is where you are right now. You are not God's people. You have not obtained mercy, but I want you to realize where you can be. You can be a part of God's people. You can obtain mercy. How? What we've talked about today. In obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ... You come into contact with his blood which washes away our sins, Revelation 1.5, which translates us, which transfers us out of darkness and into God's kingdom where there we can be his citizens, walking in the light in fellowship with him. I appreciate your good attention this morning. Uh, if you have any questions, like I said, please contact us. Uh, I appreciate every single one of you. We love you. We miss you, and everyone stay safe, and we will be praying for you. God bless you.